This is Jessica Pate, your host for Brave Together podcast. I am here to serve, encourage, and inspire you in your journey as a special needs mom. This is your tribe. This is your community, your place to be reminded that you are not alone. Please follow along as I share stories, inspiration, and resources just for you. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode today with our special guest, Ashley Jones, the founder and executive director of Love Not Lost. And I'm so happy for you to meet her and to have this conversation and to hear this conversation on a topic that comes up again and again in the world of special needs, and that is grief. And there are two areas of grief, certainly uh, the grief that is just a part of parenting all the way through from a young child all the way into adulthood uh, where the the grief buttons just get pushed time and time again. And then there is grief on losing a child, uh, which many in our community, that is their story. That is their great fear. That is definitely a risk. It's It's something in our world with Ryan. We don't keep the fridge locked and the pantry locked and no one's watching, he could certainly uh, end up in a medical emergency. So today's topic of grief, well, we'll touch on a lot of things, but um, Ashley will share her own personal story and she'll share her heart for starting Love Not Lost, which is a beautiful organization. And uh, I just want everybody to know about it. So Welcome, Ashley. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad I found you somehow on the interwebs, Instagram, uh, Facebook, something. And I was just so struck by what you're doing. And so I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Um, You know, it's a lot of people focus on the grief side of my story and not on the special needs side. And I think it's such an important thing to talk about. And I'm just really honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And just go ahead and tell our listeners your story. So my husband and I um, got married young and were surprised with a pregnancy young as well. Um, So I was 25 when I gave birth to our beautiful little girl named Skylar. And um, at one month old, we started noticing something wasn't quite right. So she had uh, her right arm would come up like a chicken wing and I would slowly pull it back down to try and straighten it out. And it would just like slowly naturally come back up like in chicken wing. And I could tell she wasn't controlling it. Like I could tell it was just like fixed there without her awareness or, you know, intentionality with it. And back in high school, I had actually volunteered with severely handicapped children. Um, So I had, you know, gone to the elementary school. It was like, I I think it was called like peer mentorship. And um, we took a whole period where we would go volunteer with these classrooms full of special needs kids. And there was this one little girl who had my heart and she was like this you know, fire engine, red hair. She was like the cutest kid and she had cerebral palsy. And 
she had like really stiff contractures. And I remember thinking like, wow, this looks a lot like the cerebral palsy contracture, not quite as stiff, but very much like that kind of formation. And so I looked at Skylar and could tell that she was tracking with me and that mentally she was there. So I was kind of confused, like, what is this, you know, but I knew it was serious. Yeah. So we we brought it up at the pediatrician one month checkup and he sent us to a brachial plexus specialist and thinking like it could have been an injury at birth. And I delivered naturally. And I was like, dude, she did not get stuck. Like as soon as her head came out, she slid right out. (laughs) I just wasn't sure what it was. And the the brachial plexus specialist started asking lots of questions about our history, our family. And I could tell he knew something that he wasn't telling me. And when we left that meeting, he was like, I'm going to make some phone calls to get you into a neurologist like as soon as possible. And I was like immediately red flags, right? Because it's like, you know, what kind of specialist who's never met you and doesn't have a personal relationship with you is going to make phone calls on your behalf to get you in as soon as possible. So I'm like trying not to like go to worst case scenario. But yeah, so he made phone calls and then we left and I just felt this overwhelming sense of pity leaving his office. Like I could feel it coming from him. And I just wanted to scream like, what are you not telling me? You know, like, ah, like this is the parent's worst nightmare to like not know, right? I think sometimes like the not knowing can be so much worse because you just torment yourself. So 30 minutes later, I get a phone call from our pediatrician who had just spoken with him and was like, it's not good. I was like, okay, let's talk about it. And basically he gave me five conditions that all were some sort of combination of letters. And he said, you know, these are five conditions that are likely what your daughter has and all of them are not good, but the, the most likely is, is really not good. And I'm, I'm still thinking like in my experience working with special needs, it was like in my head, it was like, okay, lifetime of physical therapy, lifetime of surgeries, lifetime of going all in to care for this kid. So I, I was just like, okay, worst case scenario, what are we talking about? My pediatrician came back with premature expiration. And I was just like, what? Are you kidding me? Like death? Like, do you mean death? She's going to (laughs) die? I was just like, what? It was one of those things where I was just shocked. You know, it's like you don't think that your kid's going to die before you. It's just not the natural way of things. And so, um, and then sure enough, like we researched all of the um, conditions that he had said. And she had every symptom of SMA, which stands for spinal muscular atrophy. And she had the more severe form and everything was telling us we'd be lucky to see her first birthday. Wow. Oh, Ashley. And why can't there be a nicer way of saying it than premature expiration? Why couldn't the doctor have said, Ashley, your daughter may pass away prematurely? Like, it's so soft. Like, the other way is so institutional and clinical, and it's yeah. it's hard, you know? And I really believe, like, he was such a kind, caring man. Like, he really was... He wasn't like that cold kind of stereotype, but I think that was his nice way of saying it. Like he didn't want to come out and say like, your daughter's going to die. But it's still, that would be a little harsh, (laughs) right? Like there's still no nice way to say it, right? Like it just sucks all around. There is no nice way. You're right. So that's, we, we reckoned with that. Um, We chose to really make the most of our time together, not knowing how long we had, um, And 
there were a couple of things throughout our journey, um, knowing that she had a terminal illness uh, and that she was very much special needs. Like at, you know, two to three months old, she started losing her ability to swallow. Um, her other limbs started to become affected, so she couldn't really move any of her limbs and became really floppy, um, had very low muscle tone and could never hold her head up. Um, we had to keep her laying down at all times because if we sat her up, she would choke on her own saliva. So we had a suction machine and a cough assist machine and then a feeding tube. Um, when we got, we got a G tube, uh, placement, but also a Nissen fund application. Um, and so there were just like lots of things that was like, you know, I'm sure a lot of parents who are listening can relate of just like drinking in information from a fire hose, you know, where you're just like, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn in such little time. And like what I learn is life or death for my kid, you know? Um, so it's just like, okay, like I'm going to do everything I possibly can to be the best mom for Skylar that I, that I can. I mean, luckily I love science. Like I wanted to be a doctor and just for me that I think played into my ability to care for Skylar. Cause I was like, oh yeah, tell me about this study and tell me what's going on here. And you know, like it was kind of cool. But through that, we had friends who supported us. We had friends who disappeared. But one of the friends who who showed up to love us really well gifted us a professional portrait session. And we had these just incredible memories together that were captured in beautiful pictures that we put around our house. And those really made a difference for me in my grief and allowed me to really be present with all of my feelings and all of my emotions that no one is really taught what to do with, right? Like we have, we go through school, we go through extracurricular activities. Some people go through religious, you know, ceremonies and, and institutions and churches and we have neighborhoods and we have communities. And it's like, I got to 27 years old. So Skylar did make it to her first birthday with the help of an incredible researcher. We actually were on hospice at 10 months old. And this researcher we had called to um, donate her body because Skylar, all of her muscles and, and organs were deteriorating. And so we couldn't really save any other children. And being huge believers in organ donations, my husband and I were like, well, what else could we do? And this researcher had dedicated her career to, to trying to help cure SMA. And so we, we gifted her body to her and... She was on hospice at 10 months old, but the researcher was like, you still have things you can do. Like, she doesn't have to die right now. She was like, your pulmonologist just doesn't know what she's doing. And so here's the instruction. Here are the limits you can really push her to on the BiPAP machine. And But you have time. And she literally doubled Skylar's life. All the doctors in Atlanta were telling us there, were, there was nothing else we could do. And we're like, we're in Atlanta. It's like Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Emory, St. Jude's. We have like a strong medical community. It's not like we were in the middle of nowhere. And we were still getting told there's nothing more you can do. When we called this SMA researcher, she was the one who was like, no, there is more you can do. And we were so grateful for that because... It was almost like instant karma, you know, where you like want to help someone else and then you get helped in return and you're like, oh, wow, like didn't really plan on that, but that's awesome. And so uh, when Skylar did eventually die at 21 months old, we were able to give her her body to the researcher to take what she needed. And then we received her back to bury her. And and then, you know, and then it was the grief 
and and what do I do with this? And, you know, no one has taught me up until this point what to do. And I'm so lost. It's true. We don't, which is why I'm doing this episode, which is why I will do workshops, which is why we'll do support groups, which is why I'll write about it, which is why we'll do multiple podcast episodes on this because we're not taught how to do it. In other cultures, they have beautiful ways of grieving and there's no shame in grieving. But in our culture, it's like, is she over it yet? Right? There's a little bit of that or a lot of that, depending on your family, depending on who you're around, depending on a lot of things, the circumstances. And we don't know how to grieve. And we it's like, I want to give moms permission to grieve and, and to know that there is no end and there is no closure. There is no final, that's it, stamp, we're done. And it's okay. It's so normal. Like I want to normalize it and I want to hold you. <laughs> it, it's So t- tell me what you've learned. Tell me what you've learned about grief. Sure. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that grief is so, so deeply personal and directly related to your relationship that you had with the person who died. So, for example, my grief for Skylar is very different than my grief for my aunt who died of cancer and is very different from my grief for my grandpa who died uh, from COVID who is very different from my grief of my dog who died that was like my sibling growing up, you know? Like, so all of those griefs are very, very different. So I think one thing, you know, there are just so many misconceptions out there that that I I hope to be a voice to, to break these. When we were first going through it, we didn't really have much guidance other than a pamphlet about the five stages of grief. You know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the the researcher who came up with the five stages of grief. And I think she did incredible work. But the problem is that people took her research and applied it to all grief when it was actually very specific to people facing their own death. And it makes so much more sense when you view it in that context because you have a linear progression to your own death. And and the end point is your own death. And so it feels very much like, okay, there are stages and then I die and then there's the end. But when you're left behind as the griever, it is very, very different. And there aren't stages and there is no end. And so we are in this, you know, crazy storm of emotions that's like, hitting you all at once and then one at a time and then cyclical. And then, you know, it's like this, this crazy weather pattern of like chaos and calm and chaos and calm. And people can think that they're doing something wrong. And that is like the most heartbreaking thing to me is like, if anyone feels like they're grieving and they're not doing it right, please, please, please like free yourself from that judgment because it is so not true. Like there is no right way to grieve. There's a healthy way to grieve, but there's no like right or wrong. It's, it's, it's more about listening to your body. I really believe that our bodies are designed to heal. And you can see this physically, like when you get a paper cut, 
you know, you're not even thinking about it and your body's already in motion, like forming clots and forming new blood cells and forming new skin cells and addressing the problem. Well, I believe that our bodies do the same thing emotionally, but when we get a bigger wound, for example, when we break our bone in half and it's sticking through our skin, we need extra help, right? Like we need maybe some stitches and maybe some pins to hold it in place, certainly a cast. And I think emotionally, when we go through this level of, of break, you know, it's our heartbreak that we need some extra support. And so it is truly like looking at your wounds and saying, man, I'm hurting so bad right now and I need some extra help in order to heal. And so it's calling in a counselor or um, practicing mindfulness and meditation every day or doing breath work from moment to moment or going to treat yourself to a massage or giving yourself permission to eat your feelings every now and then or whatever it is. You know, it's like just listening to your body to say, what do I need right now? And what is a loving thing that I can do to support myself in healing? Oh, it's so good, Ashley. What is it that I need right now to support this grieving moment? It's like we're trying to shush it away if that's how we've been taught or that's how we've perceived the right way it is to deal with. And what we really need to do, and I know you said this in your talk, we have to sit with it. Sit with it in the present is how you put it. And that grief and healing are in the present. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think too, that to heal, we have to feel and to feel we have to be present. That, that to me was my biggest revelation going through my journey because what was so fascinating and, and the photos were the reason I discovered this because I found when other people showed up to support me or to try and, you know, just be there, they either brought their own fear or their own judgment, or their own expectations into the room, or they triggered my own insecurities or expectations or judgments on myself or with them or whatever. And it was really hard to be fully present and safe and like open when someone else was in the room. Because even in, you know, the the hard moments where I just wanted to like, I mean, for those who can relate, like just ugly crying where you're making like scary sounds that are not human sounding, you know, you're yes, like, yes, yes. I was like, I did not know I could make that sound. Yes. Primal crying. I think like in those moments, I was afraid to let that out in front of people because I was afraid of how they would think of me. And so what I found was that the, the photos gave me that tangible space where I could hold the photos. I could hold Skylar when she wasn't here to hold. I could sit with them and in holding them, it was like a physical safe space for me to feel. And I could just be present with whatever was coming up for me. And I could let it out without any of that fear or judgment or expectation. And so what I realized was that in, in just being and, and letting things flow, it was so healing because those feelings would come up and I would let them out however I needed to. So whether it would be talking to her and telling her how much I missed her or ugly crying with like snot pouring out of my face or, you know, like whatever it was, those feelings would would almost like release. Wow. Like that just passed through me and it feels like it's gone now. And I know it's going to come back again because that's just grief. Like 
we never lose the love that we have for someone. So we're never going to lose that feeling of, of loss and grief. But what I realized over time is that with intention, so like time doesn't heal all wounds, but it's time with intention of us doing the work to be present and to feel those feelings. It doesn't have to be as painful. And so that's where I just really found like this amazing tool of, of the photographs of, wow, this, this really made a difference. And not only did it help me in the raw grief, like right after I lost her, but it has also given me now 10 years out a way to continue to feel connected to her. The photos are just such a source of joy, you know, like staring at her big blue eyes and that cheeky grin, you know, it's like, I can be taken back to those moments and they help me remember because I think sometimes, you know, as parents, our, our biggest fears is that we're going to forget back to, you know, the nonprofit, I guess, and learning how much the photos meant to me. I wanted to do that for other people. And I was like, there are so many people who are facing the terminal diagnosis who know their time is, is short. And so what if we could do these incredible portrait sessions for people and give them the same opportunity to have the memories and to have this tool through the grief. Um, and so I started Love Not Lost to volunteer portrait sessions and really beautiful photo albums to anyone facing a terminal diagnosis. And that has since grown. So I launched that in 2015 with that as like kind of our only program, so to speak, was was just the the portrait sessions and photo albums. And then really just from listening to people, we've, we've been developing tools and resources to continue to help people and support people in grief, not only the people directly facing grief, but the people in the community who want to help and don't know how. And so we have a free tool called HowCanILoveYouBetter.com that is a really easy way to ask someone a tangible way of how you can show up for them without just like an awkward nonchalant, like, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, which, you know, like puts the burden back on the person. So um, yeah, there's lots of cool stuff coming. We have a grief and empathy training for for the workplace that we are going to be releasing this year uh, as an online course called Heart at Work, in addition to still providing the, the portrait sessions and, and photo albums. That is fantastic. That is so fantastic. You are starting a movement to really teach us all how to grieve and how to really support each other. I think uh, your tool is spot on because, as you know, people say, what can I do? I say this all the time and I'm just like, why did I say that? I know that's not the right thing. It's putting it back on the person who's grieving or hurting or in crisis. What can I do? You just say, I'm showing up at your house today with dinner right? Or I'm showing up with a bag of groceries and I'll see you later, you know? And uh, so that tool is going to be so, so helpful. And uh, to talk about it in the workplace, like that is phenomenal, really. Like, okay, let's like cheer on these uh, company leaders, right? Who are recognizing this need. Yeah. Well, and, you know, for so long, I think it was commonplace that work and personal life was separate right? Like you don't bring your personal life to work. And it was, you know, I think like in our parents' generation and, and previous to that, like they didn't know a whole lot about neuroscience and emotions and all of that. And so it, 
you know, for them, it made sense because it was about efficiency and, you know, like specialization and, you know, making the assembly line and just, you know, getting it done. And what we're learning now is that you can't keep it separate. So if you're not, as a leader, if you are not preparing your culture and your teams to handle emotional trauma and upheaval in your life, then you're going to have to deal with it at some point. And unfortunately, if you're not dealing with it on the front end, you're going to be retroactively responding to it instead of preparing for it, having a more intentional approach where it might not be as painful. And so we really want to support leaders. Like I do a lot of speaking. And so um, I've spoken at, you know, corporate retreats and, you know, conferences for C-level executives and stuff. And, and I will have people coming up to me asking like, oh my gosh, you know, someone on our team just lost their spouse. What do we do? And it was the same thing that we saw in the personal life when I would speak at, you know, churches or, or just regular conferences um, where people would come up and say, I have a neighbor who lost a baby. What do I do? Or, you know, and, and, and so it, it was this realization that a lot of people actually want to help, but their fear is holding them back. And so what can we do to empower and equip them with a tool that will help them choose love over fear? And that is how we came up with the howcanilovebetter.com was just saying, okay, we have a massive gap that we can fill, you know, where all these people over here want to help and they don't know how. But all these people over here that we're serving and we're hearing are saying that their community is disappearing and they need help. And so let's bring these together. And the same thing was true for the workplace. It was like families that we were serving were saying, I'm getting bullied at work for missing too much work or, you know, I'm I'm getting threatened or I have been fired um, because my, I'm taking care of my husband on hospice and I couldn't meet my requirements or whatever. And it was just like, oh, there has to be a better way. I applaud you for seeing that gap. I applaud you for seeing that gap in the workplace and trying to fill it. Thank you. Yeah, our our driving question at Love Not Lost is how can we love people better? Because at the end of the day, we believe that love is what brings healing. And so another thing um, Brene Brown actually said in one of her talks is the absence of love is suffering. And so many of us with special needs kids or family members, um, and certainly those who have suffered loss um, from a from a death perspective, like our situations are already causing suffering, right? Like we are already in it. And so if we don't have love, then that's additional suffering, right? And so we're not trying to like fix people's situations because we can't do that. But if we can come in and add love and bring love into the situation, we can ease that suffering and we can help people not feel so burdened and alone in what they're going through. Ashley, ah, I think I'm in love with your organization and all that you're doing. Seriously. And I I want you, we'll, we'll have to talk offline, but I would love for you to do a training for my whole team because we're encountering it in this world you know, in the world of special needs, trying to make a difference, but we're just encountering it in general because it's just a part 
of life. Loss is a part of life. Yeah. Well, and I think your your company is, you know, just the name, like We Are Brave Together is so, so beautiful because, you know, for everyone listening, it's like some of us are like forced to be brave. You know, like, I don't know if you've felt this, but people come up to me all the time and they're like, you're so strong. And like, I could never do what you do. And you're like, yeah, like, yes, I am strong. And like, yes, I am doing this, which like most people don't have to do, but I didn't really have a choice. Let's either like do this or your daughter dies, you know? And so it's like, you're forced into this, this strength and courage for the sake of your loved one. And it's, it's, and I, I think it's just this beautiful picture of the, we are brave together, you know, because it's like, some of us didn't choose this and we didn't want it, but we're here and we're going to show up and we're going to love our kids and we're going to do the best we can. And it does require bravery and it does require courage. And again, it's like seeing that fear of like, I know I could lose my kid any day, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to be present. I'm going to love my kid with every fiber in my being until that day comes. I love the mental image that I get when just hearing we are brave together. It's like this rally cry of like, yes, like we are moms who are in this without a choice and we're going to do it and be brave together. Or parents, I know it's not just mom. Thank you. Thank you. Ashley, before you go, what is one thing that you would want to say to others who are watching somebody go through grief? It's such a good question because I, I don't know that there's any one thing because again, it's so, like grief is so unique and supporting people is so unique based on your relationship. So the way I would talk with a coworker is probably not the exact same way I would talk to like a best friend or a neighbor or a family member, right? We have to take consideration of like what our relationship is to that person and how well we know them. So that's another thing is like uh, to really love someone, you have to know them and they have proximity. And so... Um, for example, like if someone gave me a lasagna, they could like really hurt me because I'm gluten-free, you know? And so, but it takes knowing me to like love me and give me a gluten-free pasta or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I don't even like pasta, but you know, um, and so, so it's, it's, there's, there's that. Um, but in general, if I, if you're like, okay, but just a blanket statement, you know, I really believe that if you can tap into what you're feeling and be really honest and like let your heart lead and not your fear. Oftentimes we go into situations and we're like, oh, I'm so afraid I'm going to offend them. Or if I say this, it's going to hurt their feelings or it's going to make them cry or whatever. But that's all fear. Sometimes the greatest gift you can give someone is making them cry because you're allowing them space to let out those feelings and to heal. So it's, it's less about the fear and more about loving them in that moment, because situational matters too, to say, hey, I'm so sorry and I don't know what to say, but I just want to let you know I love you and I'm here for you however you need me. Or, you know, if you want to get more specific to say like, I'm so sorry you're going through this and I see the struggle and and I don't know what that's like, but I want to help you. What can I do for you? Or send them a howcanilovebetter.com to say, here are some checkboxes of offerings that I'm willing to make and a calendar plug-in so that you can tell me, bring me lunch at Friday at noon, boom, done. 
And so I think it's more about tapping into our hearts to love people and, and looking at the situation and saying, what's the best way I can love them right now? I think so often we're afraid to ask questions. Like, I think everyone just feels like they should know what to say and that we have to make all these assumptions. But I think so often we forget that it's okay to ask and actually people really appreciate being asked. Mm, So good. Say something rather than say nothing. You can say, I'm stumbling over my words, but I care about you so much and I want to be there for you. And I have no idea what it is that you're going through, but but I'm going to walk through this with you. Absolutely. Ashley, where can everybody find you and find your organization, find you on Instagram, find the, the tool? Is the tool on the website for Love Not Lost or is it an app? So fun, fun insight that you are the first to know is we are working on developing an app. Um, and so, yes, that is in the works. We're securing funding for that through a foundation and trying to make that come together this year. So, but in the meantime, it's howcanilovebetter.com. And you can go there. It's a website. You, it's a customizable form. Um, there are lots of, uh, you know, insights there on the website that, again, you just need an email address. You send it off. Boom. Done. Um, as far as social handles, um, all of our social handles are at lovenotlostorg. Um, you, we are most active on Instagram. Uh then Facebook, then Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me personally, please find me on LinkedIn. You can search Love Not Lost and, you know, search the staff members if you can't find me since Ashley Jones is a common name. Um, But yes, please connect. I love, I love meeting new people and, and talking to new people. And our, you know, general website is lovenotlost.org. a really cool thing that we're developing. Um, It'll be an actual community and not just like an automatic withdrawal once a month from your checking account. You know, Um, we, we really want to make it uh, a place where you see the impact you're connecting with other givers. Um, You get to hear exclusive stories every quarter through a zoom call with other members in the community. Um, fun giving, you know, like on your giving anniversary, you'll get some fun mail. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really great. I'm excited. We're building that out this year. So if you want to be one of the founding members, join us. Um, and there's a banner at the top of our website right now. So again, it's lovenotlost.org. Um, and if you click at the banner at the top, it'll take you to the heartbeat page where you can learn more. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Before we go, I think I'm quoting you right, but I heard you say this, and I want our listeners to hear this, and you'll hear this if you go to Ashley's TED Talk, but she says, to heal, we must grieve, to grieve, we must feel, to feel, we must be in the present. Yeah, and being in the present is really hard. Like, I want to acknowledge that because our society is all about checking out and numbing out and distracting and staying busy and not thinking, right? And so I just want to, for everyone listening, acknowledge that like being present is really, really hard. I am here in that struggle with you um, every day. And so 
you know, mindfulness and meditation has really, really helped me. Um, you know, just simple, like there are apps out there that can help you with that if you want to develop that practice. But it has been a game changer for me. And I, I hope that more people can develop practice of presence. I agree. Well, thank you, Ashley. What a pleasure to have this time with you. Thank you for all that you're doing. And uh, I know we'll be talking again for sure. Just thank you so much for the gift of you and the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to continue the conversation anytime. Thank you so much for listening today, my friends. And I hope you loved Ashley Jones. I am so in awe of what she's doing. And uh, as you know, I love quotes. And I'm going to leave you one of her quotes that she said on her TEDx talk. And like I said, I hope you will check it out because it's really worth a listen to. She says, grief is not a singular emotion that anyone can move on from or get over. Amen to that, right? We need to just normalize that grieving is something that does go on and on. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with us or that we are suffering from clinical depression. We grieve because we love. If you are listening to this podcast and you've not yet joined the community of We Are Brave Together, please go to our website, wearebravetogether.com and fill out the little pop-up form. We welcome you to be a part of the community of moms. And we do also have a support group for dads. So look for that on our website every other month. And we have a wonderful life coach, John Trethaway, who is leading that. We have not forgotten about the dads. We know they need support as well. If you would like to donate to keep this podcast going, you can go to the same website, wearebravetogether.com, and go to our donate page. Any amount is greatly appreciated. All right, friends, have a beautiful day.